just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. I had a scripted episode I'd been working on for this week, but then the Huff Post published a story that I just had to respond to. It's been a while since I've talked about Islam on the show, and the reason why is I didn't want to seem like just another negative online voice bashing the same religion week after week. As I explained it before, I got sick of covering terror attack after terror attack and proclaiming what should be obvious, that killing living, breathing human beings in the name of religion is wrong. And even though this is a show mostly geared towards skeptics and non-believers, I don't want to seem like I'm just always focusing on the negative, which is why I try to switch things up a bit here and there, doing little documentary episodes or discussing offbeat topics like curly in photography and eternal recurrence. But something about this specific HuffPost article rubbed me the wrong way. And in full disclosure, I'm someone who considers himself a left-leaning independent. I don't like affiliating myself with any particular political party because I don't really like the whole my team versus your team mentality that seems to all too often accompany political debate. And I don't trust most politicians on either side of the aisle as far as I can throw them. But that being said, I lean strongly to the left on things like LGBT rights, gay marriage, pot legalization, and separation of church and state issues, etc., etc. And generally, I don't have anything against the Huffington Post. In fact, I think their app was one of the first I downloaded after I stood in line to get my first-gen iPad back in the day. At the time, I don't think I knew much about them or their political leanings. I just downloaded the app for the heck of it, and I've been using it to get my first glimpse of the morning news ever since. Although admittedly they lean left, I've found that generally their reporting seems to be rather trustworthy, albeit a bit colored by their political bias. But of late it seems some of their pieces read like overly politically correct propaganda, and perhaps this article is an example of that trend. It's entitled, How the British Media Helps Radicalize People Against Islam, and it looks like it's by Christopher Matthias. And it starts off with a quote, Every time a newspaper prints a negative story about Muslims, ISIS leaders will be rubbing their hands in glee, says academic Dr. Paul Baker. And in a sense, that's true. I think ISIS does like trying to drive a wedge between Muslims living abroad and the governments and populations of their host countries. But I mean, what are you supposed to do? Never mention Islam when talking about an extremist attack in which the perpetrators themselves say they're doing it at least in part in the name of their religion. And I guess we also have to ask, what does he mean exactly when he says newspapers printing negative stories about Muslims? Do you mean a newspaper writing an article claiming that all Muslims are bad and that all Muslims are terrorists. Uh, obviously, that would be factually untrue and it would be ignorant and counterproductive. But I mean, what mainstream news outlets are publishing articles like that? Uh, you'd probably have to go to some kind of fringe far-right online publication to get something like that. But from what I can tell, most mainstream news outlets, CNN or whatever, are just factually reporting on the stories. 
you know, they'll say that so-and-so, a particular individual with ties to ISIS, plowed into a crowd of people in France with a truck or whatever, you know. Um, and I'm not laughing at the idea of innocent people being killed by an extremist. I'm laughing that at the absurdity that this even has to be explained, that it, it shouldn't be considered wrong or unethical or bigoted to include facts like the person was an extremist member of a certain religion when covering a news story. And I get it. I have sympathy for the average Muslim person living abroad. And I say living abroad when many are, you know, second, third, whatever, gen. Um, and, you know, good, well-meaning people just trying to live their lives, and you know, who happen to be Muslim, and they wake up to another news story about uh, some Islamic extremists killing innocent people, and they're probably like, oh, shit, you know, here we go. Um, uh, I mean, they have to walk out outdoors every day on the way to work or whatever to get their kids at school knowing that some people might be, you know, looking at them a certain way because of all these negative stories in the news having to do with, uh, with Islam or radical Islamists. And I think that's why people covering stories uh, having to do with radical Islam have a responsibility not to paint with a broad brush and to drive home the point that just because a certain percentage of this community or you know certain extremists are committing these atrocities these acts of terror that doesn't mean the average muslim person walking down the street is a bad person you know that should go without saying even then i'm saying that you know people reporting on these stories have responsibility to, to drive home that point i'm not even sure that's necessarily true if you're just a straight news network like CNN, well, Anderson Cooper isn't straight. Ha, kidding. Love Anderson Cooper. But uh, uh, back on track. But I, I don't even think that, you know, if you're just factually reporting on a story about a terror attack, that I don't think it's the anchor's responsibility to every time have to say, as the uh, phrase online goes, not all. You know, I mean, and have to explain that's not all Muslims. But I think especially if you're writing op-ed pieces and things like that, I mean, people have, you, you have to keep in mind the possible repercussions of what you're saying. And you don't want to trigger incidents like, uh, remember after, in the wake of 9-11, there were innocent Sikhs being beaten on the street because people who don't know anything about uh, Eastern culture, were mistaking um, Sikhs for Muslims. Not that you should be beating up on uh, random Muslim people on the street either, because like I said, chances are they're just a normal, decent citizen who, uh, you know, isn't an extremist, isn't plotting any kind of attack. And I know there are disturbing statistics um, in Britain, for instance, about how many members of the uh, Muslim population supposedly say that if they had information about 
an impending terror attack that they wouldn't report on it. Or maybe they have sympathies for extremist interpretations of Islam. Even then, I don't think that's an excuse to grab the nearest Muslim and start beating on them or to be hurling epithets or slurs at people uh, in, in, in the street. But that being said, you have to be able to factually report on the news. And if religion is a component in these attacks, I mean, hey, it may be an ugly truth, but it's still a truth. And that actually reminds me, not long ago, uh, I think it was back on the 14th of June, Richard Dawkins tweeted something that got people's uh, hackles up. Not the first time he's done this. Uh, he tweeted, Christianity was the world's most evil religion, now massively overtaken by Islam. And Muslims are the main victims, especially women. And someone replied, it's people, some people in parentheses, not the religions. People are the root cause. And I replied, granted, there's often political slash socioeconomic factors as well, but religion is a part of the toxic mix. Just ask the extremists themselves. And I never heard back from that person. But I mean, I think that's a pretty sober and factual assessment, in my humble opinion. And there seems to be this kind of wishy-washy, overly politically correct idea that it's not the religions, it's the people, like the ideology and some of you know the negative things in, in the holy books aren't to blame or don't have any influence on people. And it kind of reminds me of um, Reza Aslan's, or yeah, Reza, is that it? Reza, Reza, Reza Aslan's take. And it's funny because in that scripted episode I was working on, uh, I was going to talk about a recent story having to do with Reza Aslan being fired from CNN. Reza had a show about spirituality where he visited different cultures and took part in their religious uh, rituals, etc. I think it was called The Believers or something like that. I think I may have only seen part of one episode. Uh, despite my ambivalence towards Reza Aslan, I actually thought it was a decent show. And uh, he got fired for tweeting something about Trump. And uh, I forget the exact tweet, but he did call Trump a quote-unquote piece of shit. And uh, I learned about this uh, from the most recent episode of Sam Harris's podcast. And neither Sam Harris or, or myself are fans of Donald Trump. Um, and Sam Harris actually said, even though he's enemies with Reza Aslan, uh, that makes it sound like something out of a comic book, you know. But Reza Aslan has not been very charitable towards Sam Harris over the years, basically accusing him of being an Islamophobe, a bigot, and of having a narrow view of Islam, etc. Um, but Sam Harris actually said that he didn't take any joy in the knowledge that Reza Aslan was let go, and he didn't think he should lose his job over this one stupid tweet. And even though uh, I don't care for Donald Trump myself, to say the least, 
uh, I think just in a Machiavellian sense, in one's own self-interest, it probably isn't the wisest move to be a public figure working for a mainstream news outlet and, and to describe the sitting president as a piece of shit. I guess you could say it's kind of brave or bold, maybe, in a sense, if that's what you really think. But if you're someone who wants to keep your job, it's probably not the most sensible or the wisest move to make. And I think, uh, as Sam Harris said, you know, Reyes is not necessarily Oscar Wilde, kind of Riley referring to the way in which he expressed himself. And given that there's only a limited amount of characters you're allowed in a tweet, still he probably could have said it in in some more articulate way other than, uh, uh, you know, describing our orange president as a piece of shit. And, and I still have these weird moments where, not to get sidetracked, but once in a while, uh, it's all of a sudden I realize all over again the very surreal nature of the situation we're in, where Donald Trump, this kind of opportunist, this, uh, I'll say, con man, and I'm not going to offer a comprehensive list of reasons why I think he's a con man right now, but I think, you know, whenever you slap someone with a negative label like that, um, you owe it at least to give some sort of explanation. And I'll, I'll give examples like Trump University, his penchant for saying whatever suits him or behooves him in the moment, even if it contradicts earlier statements, etc. But yes, essentially a reality star, a con man, uh, a person with a spotted uh, business track record, um, someone who's at least reported to have said and done some very kind of heinous and questionable things regarding women. Uh, that this guy's our president. You know, once in a while, I have these moments where I just kind of, all of a sudden it dawns on me. I'm like, holy shit, Donald, Donald Trump? This guy that I've been seeing hawking everything under the sun and being lampooned in the public eye since I was a little kid? This guy's our president? And I know I'm probably going to catch grief for saying all this, um, but that's what you get with me. I'm just going to say what I actually feel. And I know... There'll probably be some pro-Trump people that will be attracted to the subject matter of this episode because I'm calling the Huffington Post out on their political correctness. And yet at the same time, I'm also expressing my disdain for Trump. But hey, you know, I say what I think and uh, let the cards fall where they may, whatever. And while I'm criticizing people, I might as well explain what I described as my ambivalence towards Reza Aslan. Uh, I think my first exposure to Reza was uh, through Bill Maher. Uh, I've been watching uh, Real Time with Bill Maher, I think since the show came out, what was it, back in 2003 or whatever. And Reza Aslan periodically was a guest on the show. And at first, um, you know, I... I Thought he was witty, clever, smart. I liked listening to him speak. And I almost thought that maybe he was a, a political satirist or something. Um, I, I didn't realize uh, he wasn't uh, a comedian. Well, may, maybe now you could say he is a, a inadvertently, unintentionally a comedian of sorts. But uh, 
No, I found him so witty that I thought, yeah, maybe he was a satirist or something. And then I learned he was a quote-unquote religion, uh, religious scholar, and I'll explain the quotes in a bit. And uh, I think I had also seen a documentary on Islam on the History Channel, I think it was, um, years back. And uh, he was one of the uh, supposed experts being interviewed. And I liked that documentary, and I liked uh, what Reza Aslan had to say. Uh, I, I thought he was an intelligent guy. And I think he definitely is intelligent and eloquent as a writer. I mean, you can't take that away from him, but intelligence doesn't always go hand in hand with uh, common sense, etc. And then as, as I became more engaged with atheist content online, etc., and beca- started to become a fan of people like Hitchens and Harris, you know, I, I saw... Uh, this debate that you can still find on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if he did more than one, but this debate that Sam Harris had with Reza Aslan, and I thought Reza was being rather intellectually dishonest and snarky during the course of that debate. Um, And then I also saw how he spoke of Sam Harris in the public eye. Like I was saying a little bit ago, painting him as an Islamophobe of, in, of, of having, having this kind of narrow view of Islam. And then news started to break that Reza Aslan may have lied or embellished the facts regarding his academic credentials. And if you want to learn more about that, uh, David Pakman, David Pakman, someone who's basically a classic liberal, who's a really a left-leaning guy too, uh, he did a series of videos, kind of an ongoing expose on Reza Aslan, and he goes in depth uh, explaining how Reza Aslan essentially lied about his academic credentials, and it's pretty damning. I remember prior to all that, I actually bought Reza Aslan's book, Zealot, which kind of makes the argument that uh, Jesus of Nazareth was... Uh, this kind of militant figure and not necessarily the meek and mild, turn-the-other-cheek, peace-loving type of figure that most Christians conceive of him as being. And I think some people have accused Aslan of just kind of rehashing or recycling outdated arguments from older scholars, kind of maybe fringe scholars regarding that argument. Uh, I I think I got about halfway through the book. It was a well-written book. I had issues with it as well. Um, But I got kind of disillusioned with Reza Aslan. I just didn't have the desire to finish it. But geez, uh, more than 18 minutes in. Let's get back to that article. So I'll continue. I'm going to kill all Muslims. That's what a white man said after he plowed a rented van into Muslim worshippers leaving the Finsbury Park Mosque in North London. Early Monday, police allege. One man died and 11 people were injured in the incident. The next day, the Times, a major British newspaper, splashed a picture of the suspect, forty-seven-year-old, uh, a 47-year-old named Darren Osborne, across its front page. Below, a sympathetic headline describing him as a quote-unquote jobless lone wolf. The accompanying subheading described him as a father of four with mental health problems. So, I, I think sympathetic is kind of in the eye of the beholder then. I mean... 
is jobless lone wolf really a sympathetic description of someone? I mean, you could just as easily argue or spin it that, you know, jobless lone wolf makes him sound like this dangerous loner living on the fringes of society or something. Uh, and then described him as a father of four with mental health problems. Well, is that true or, or isn't it? Uh, he is a father of four, I guess. And he, uh, if he just plowed into a group of people, I'm willing to believe that he had uh, mental health problems. But I think people who don't like when terrorists are described as Islamic terrorists or when Islam is perhaps put in a bad light uh, because, you know, a story having to do with radical Islam is being reported on, they really seem to, to dislike when white non-Muslims are described as lone wolves. And they set it up as this kind of unfair dichotomy where... If you're a Muslim, then you're a terrorist and you're part of this negative ideology or religion. But if you're a, a non-Muslim, especially a white non-Muslim, then you're just some lone wolf. There's no greater ideology or organization or religion to blame. And I can't speak for everyone, but me personally, as I've said repeatedly in the past on this show, if someone belonging to a white supremacist group or some kind of militia group say attacks representatives of the government or attacks a black, you know, burns down a black church or something like that, I am fine with calling that terrorism because they belong to an organization with an agenda. There's an ideology at play. Um, well, I guess you could argue that even individuals can be driven by a personal ideology or whatever. I have no problem with calling the Oklahoma City bombing an act of terrorism, domestic terrorism. I have no problem with considering, you know, uh, those old IRA bombings uh, that Britain used to be plagued by as acts of terrorism. Even something like uh, Dylan Roof, uh, I'm open to considering that terrorism, where he he had written a manifesto, he was virulently racist against blacks, and he went to a church and shot dead a bunch of innocent black people. I think at least in part to try to call attention to his quote-unquote cause or whatever. So uh, I'm not married to the idea of considering that specific case terrorism, but I can see an argument for it, sure. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is just because you might be someone who's critical of religion, including Islam, and who believes in honest reporting regarding terrorist attacks without trying to sugarcoat things, that doesn't mean that you're a bigot or a hypocrite who isn't willing to use the label terrorist in other contexts or circumstances when it involves non-Muslims. There was a time when it was, was the IRA who was in the headlines um, regarding acts of terror. Uh, but we live in a different day and time. Today, most acts of terror are perpetrated by Islamic extremists. Uh, you don't like that? Um, 
I, I don't know what to say. And I'm actually going on longer than I thought I would be. So uh, I, I want to read some comments uh, that appear appropriately enough in the comments section on the story. Uh, one person says, funny, I haven't seen a story on the Huffington Post titled how the Arab media and local clerics are radicalizing young Muslims against the West. Interesting, which is a, a good point. Uh, someone else says, this is an irksome post. I know, quote unquote, not all Muslims are bad. It's a fact. Most are peace-loving people. I get it. But HuffPost's constant glorification of Islam is getting a bit tiresome, too. If for no other reason, then I know damn well HuffPost would not post stories about Christians or Jews that mirror what it posts about Muslims. Counterbalance is not demonstrated by extreme viewpoints. And I get what this person is saying. I might take a couple of issues with it. Um, I don't necessarily know if I'd call it glorification of Islam on the part of the Huffington Post, but I definitely think they try to spin things in, in a way that puts Islam in a more sympathetic light than other religions or in a way that handles Islam, promotes handling Islam with kid gloves. I think, and I say this as a left-leaning person myself, just trying to be intellectually honest, I think this there is this kind of trend on the left where it's all right to lampoon and mock, say, Christianity, but Islam, it's, you know, hands off. If you criticize or speak negatively or glibly about Islam, then you're a bigot. My take is criticize all religions where they need to be criticized call call them out on their bs their hypocrisy uh superstition there's some things i find beautiful about certain religions i can find things i like just about any religion including islam even if it's just uh you know the kind of outer trappings like the calligraphy the poetry of rumi uh the architecture etc etc i'm kind of like um Sam Harris in that regard, where I can admire some of the beauty of the ritual or the uh, tradition, but at the same time, I don't shrink away from shining a light on negative and barbaric practices and uh, passages from the text. Uh, you know what I mean? Hope this isn't uh, falling on deaf ears, man. But anyway, this was a completely unscripted last-minute episode. Uh, but thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. Um, check out the YouTube channel. And I knew this was going to happen. I finally got up to 3,000 subscribers on YouTube. And now it keeps going up and down, uh, you know, below and above the 3,000 mark. I go to 2,999, up over 3,000, back down again. Ugh. YouTube. But anyway, uh, yeah, and if you want to uh, help the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. Podbean is where I host the feed for the show. Um, or you can go to patreon.com slash doubt and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next week.